all kind of came into the subject at one point where thought this is a Pacific Northwest phenomenon. And then, you know, as you kind of start delving into it or read a few books, you know, you realize, okay, wait a minute, the, this, you know, this can be seen all over. And Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. Thank you all for joining us, and a special thank you goes out to all of you who continue to support the podcast and continue to spread the word. Always remember, if any of you out there have experiences of your own that you'd like to share, feel free to email me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. Again, paranormalportalradio at gmail.com, and you too could be a guest on the show. Today's show is phenomenal, and, and our guest today is someone who I have a lot of respect for, I've been listening to for years, and has been a, a, truly a pillar in the, in the uh, cryptid community, and uh, his work is just second to none, and he's a pretty diversified guy as far as what he does. So um, let's welcome to the show Mr. Lyle Blackburn. Welcome to the show, Lyle. Thanks for coming on. You bet. Thanks for having me. Man, you, you've been at this for how long now? I mean, collectively. Well, I, I guess in in terms of, you know, a serious sort of investigation type thing and, mm-hmm. and writing the books, it's been about 12 or 13 years from doing that. And then, you know, sort of a lifetime of just being interested in the strange and unknown yeah, well, then there's plenty of that out there for sure. But I, this is kind of my generic opener, <laughs> and I realize it's kind of like, well, everybody asks this question. But I really am always curious as to what brought someone to to the pursuits that they're doing, and and certainly that's that's uh, the case with you as well. How did this start? Did you have an experience? Was it just uh, an interest for a lifetime, or what? What what was your genesis? Well, as far back as I can remember, I just loved monster movies and horror movies and anything spooky like that. And I think around maybe third grade or something, I got a book that had stories of Bigfoot, Yeti, and the Loch Ness Monster. And so when I read of that, those, I thought, wow, this is cool. I mean, this is like, you know, real life monsters, maybe something that, you know, you could run across. And, uh, you know, then I been, began to kind of study up on that and, and, uh, you know, but I, I, you know, I was born and raised around Fort Worth, Texas and, you know, Loch Ness was a long way away and even sure. stories of Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest. But, um, sometime when I was pretty young, I, uh, my parents and I went to a drive-in movie theater and saw a movie called the legend of Boggy Creek. <laughs> which sure. was a huge movie in the 70s and dramatized sightings of a Bigfoot-like creature in southern Arkansas, which was the, – the town was literally about three and a half hours from where I lived. So that really captured my imagination because, you know, this was closer to home and this was sort of a scarier Bigfoot and – uh, my father is a bow hunter, and so I'd already spent plenty of time in the woods and driving through creepy small towns, um, which is what you see in that movie. So I kind of really identified with it, and that 
right there just cemented my, you know, fascination for, you know, cryptids and, and, and creatures and sightings of uh, things like that. While, you know, I mean, I certainly also liked UFOs and ghosts and everything else, but, but monsters was my thing. Yeah. No, did since your dad was in a woodsman for so long, being an avid hunter and stuff, did he ever have any weird con- uh, situations? No, he never, never really had any, you know, sightings of anything sure. or anything weird. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know that he was kind of thinking about those things, you know, right. whether he even heard something. But most of the places where we hunted was in mostly central and south Texas where, you know, there's there's less Bigfoot mm-hmm. encounters and stuff. I mean, there are some, but, you know, he, he generally wasn't over in the eastern portions of Texas where there is a great amount of Bigfoot sightings. So I don't know if he was just unlucky or just not in the right place, but he, he's never seen anything. But he does, you know, he, he's totally interested in the Bigfoot subject. Yeah, I find that absolutely fascinating, and and I, I, I don't know. I, I think they they seem to choose when they're experienced, you know. And I, I don't know why or what or what criteria they use, but after hearing you know hundreds and thousands of of experiences of people, it's like, for the most part, most people that see them are not looking for them. But in the inverse, then when you know when people go out actively looking for them, it seems like it's the proverbial needle in the haystack and and i and i imagine it always is but you know what i mean it's like they seem to be pretty cognizant of when we're in the woods and they and they do seem to choose when they appear yeah certainly i mean it's it's one of those things you kind of go looking for it it's harder to find and most (laughs) of the what i find is compelling encounters are people who aren't looking for bigfoot um you know these aren't researchers that can somehow go in the woods every weekend and have be Mm -hmm. attacked by apes and all this stuff. Um, You know, people who live in rural environments who are out there and perhaps they don't see anything for most of their life. And then suddenly, you know, they're driving down a back road and boom, there's something right in the road that completely changes their whole thinking about yeah, you know the subject or what could be out there, and and that's, you know, that seems to be the thing. You can you can just as easily drive down a back road and see something as you can if you trek to the most remote portion of the world. You know. <laughs> yeah, and that's a fascinating uh, topic. Now, th- you know, I grew up in in like uh, southern Minnesota, and so you know, I, I had awareness of these things growing up, but I I was always under the impression because of of Leonard Nimoy and in search of that, that was something in the Pacific Northwest. And, and I remember when I really started learning about them, how blown away I was at the fact that they're everywhere. I mean, globally everywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we all kind of came into the subject at one point where, you know, was thought this is a Pacific Northwest phenomenon. Um, and then, you know, as you kind of start delving into it or read a few books, you know, you realize, okay, wait a minute, the, this, you know, this can be seen all over. And certainly it's 
it's easier to grasp that these days because cable television has, you know, finding Bigfoot that goes to a different sure. state every week and, you know, <laughs> yeah. all the stuff on Facebook and what have you. But, but, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the hub of it, but truly mm. there's, you know, been these kind of reports of strange ape-like creatures dating back to the 1800s across you know the all of the united states and like you say beyond very uh, very international type phenomenon yeah it's pretty incredible and and since you're an avid researcher i'd love to hear your thoughts on this and and the, the curious thing is that there does seem to be uh, a biodiversity in these beings and and i don't know if they're if there are distinct family trees or if it's just a, a biodiversity, much like we have a biodiversity, but there seems to be the common thread of this is something that's six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 feet tall, hairy. Um, the amount of hair varies depending on like a Momo sighting versus a, you know, a Patty and uh, that sometimes there's variation on toes and, you know, the toe count three versus five, you know, and every once in a while uh, a strange six one comes along. And and what do you account for that? Do you think that it is just a biodiversity or are there, are there, are there several branches of this family tree running around? Well, you know, theoretically that if these things do exist, they're probably, you know, if one branch even exists is miraculous enough. So I, I wouldn't imagine there's too many. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the the biodiversity is something that, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense just simply because, you know, we're, I mean, we're basically great apes and we're very closely related to these sort of things. And, you know, we have different hair colors. We're very, different depending on where we live and our cultural origin and skin color and height and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's conceivable that, you know, even though they seem different in some ways, they could be still of the same branch of, of the, uh, bushy hominid tree. And, uh, you know, there certainly could play in also, environmental factors you know i mean depending on where where they live you know if it's in a colder northern environment perhaps they they would be bigger you know bergman's Uh law which you know dictates that uh, typically animals that live in a hotter environment are a lot of times smaller and Mm -hmm. you know you see this kind of same diversity with bears i mean you've got different types or different hair colors black bears are not all black you know they're brownish and right you know there's all kinds of stuff but uh, you know I, I think you could be explained like that and um, just depending on where they live and uh, you know what their little uh, small family unit what their hair color is right no I, I think that's a great point and I and I would I guess I would tend to agree, you know, because, of course, you hear in the Bigfoot community, you hear type one, type two, type three, type four, you know, and and so it sounds like these very distinct, you know, classifications. And I don't know, it's it's just curious with me because um, in doing the show, I guess one of the things that really blew me away quite a bit was learning about 
the number of various claims of creatures out there. And, and it's like, wow, what else could be out there? What is going on here? And, 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 and it's, it seems like we're really not aware of a whole bunch of stuff going on in our world. Conceivably so. I mean, if, if we take these at least anecdotal accounts at face value, then, you know, there's all sorts of monsters running wild and creatures and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, beyond that more strange phenomenon. And, you know, uh, the, all these people aren't hallucinating or making stuff up. And, sure. you know, if you, only a portion of the witnesses truly saw something unexplainable, then that's enough to say there's unexplainable things out there. So that that's surely the case. And, um, the, you know, we just grasp at, at trying to explain it in terms of the rational world. But we're, you know, we only perceive what we perceive as our limited human capacity. So who sure. knows what we, what we don't yet know. <laughs> that's good. That's beautiful. That should be a t-shirt right there, brother. Who knows what we don't yet know. <laughs> that's <Right>. awesome. <laughs> I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I, I think that's a, that's a, a pretty good approach to it all, I guess. I mean, it, of course there is human error. There is, um, you know, people being adrenalized when they're scared and, and uh, of course possibly exaggerating what they're seeing just from the fear basis or the, you know, the shock value of it. But yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. Um, where, where have you investigated? You, you know, most of my um, research projects in terms of, you know, a cryptid case or, or what have you has been in, in, the, uh, in North America and mostly in the southern portions where, you know, closer to Texas, obviously, it's more accessible. But I, right. I kind of like the southern flavor of of the stuff so i'm kind of a southern mystery writer in a way mm-hmm. um so i've concentrated on that so you know the, that's you know but you know i've been up to point pleasant west virginia where the mothman was sighted and mm-hmm. all sorts of other places and i've been to most states so i have some at least perspective or reference on on a bigger scale could have heard weird stuff strange howls you know trees you know a rock fall that you know like it was thrown or something that's that brings up a great uh great discussion now of course Point Pleasant, the Mothman, and and uh, the bridge collapse there, and I've heard now uh, in more m- modern times. Of course, there's a rash of sightings up in the Illinois area. Um, and do you think this is the same phenomena, or do you think something else is going on there? Well, I, I mean, I think it's the same phenomenon in that there's you know a long history of sightings of flying humanoid type creatures that mm-hmm. resemble mothman um and so you know this stuff you can just find flaps of it where you know there's concentrated amounts of sightings in one area and then perhaps it dries up and then there's sightings elsewhere but it's just sort of an ongoing thing mm. with all these cryptids and 
you know, the stuff in Illinois, I mean, there was sightings allegedly of the Chicago Mothman, of which, you know, I haven't been up there interviewing people or, and such, but many, there's a lot of problems with some of those reports mm. in that the areas being described are incorrect as to what buildings are there and oh. other other issues where um, the credibility of some of those sightings, you know, creates a problem. But uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, uh, you know it's just something that is yet another extension of sort of the Mothman umbrella of, of sightings that probably will continue forevermore. Sure. Yeah. I, I, again, in the, in those situations in the Mothman reports, especially coming out of, out of the Chicago area, I've read a number of those reports and there's, there's quite a bit of diversity in what people are seeing there. Sometimes they're three or four foot tall things. Sometimes they're seven foot tall. Sometimes they look like a, and look like some kind of big hopping bird and then they fly away. Some of them have the flapping wings. Some of them are stationary and there seems to be quite a bit of, and maybe it's just, you know, again, people being shocked to see something they can't quite understand and, and it it affects their ability to really perceive it correctly. But it it does seem like there's a, a lot of variations there. True. And, and that just creates a big problem, you know, because, I mean, there can be some variation if a thing, if you see a brown one and a br- black one, but where they they so dra- drastically, they're so drastically different in the description, it, it's like, okay, you know, yeah. it, that that doesn't corroborate each other and support sort of a singular strange creature or a s- small family of them mm-hmm. or something that creates, uh, you know, I don't know, a su- suspicious or sure. dubious um, cast upon the whole thing. And certainly, like you say, I mean, if you know, you see something shocking and scary, you know, eyewitness accounts are fallible. But, mm-hmm. you know, how fallible are they? I mean, did you see a you know, was it a bird or was it a man-like thing? Those are drastically different. And are we yes. talking now about two or three different types of cryptids in Chicago? I don't know. That starts to get <laughs> to be a problem, you know. So right, yeah. It's not like it's a it's a barren wasteland of uh, woods and forests and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that and that's why the scrutiny on something like where people are reporting it in a uh, large city carries. Uh, more burden of proof because there is a lot more people there and there are cameras on buildings and there are, you know, conceivably police reports that should be filed and and Mm -hmm. other things like that. Whereas if somebody's out in the middle of the woods hunting or something and, and they see something, well, conceivably there's probably no one else around to support that. But in a city, where you have numerous eyes at any moment on any city block, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless it's at, unless they're all at 2 a.m., but even in a big city, there's people out. It, it becomes sure. more like, shouldn't other people have seen this? Shouldn't the 
you know, shouldn't there be some camera footage and other things? That's a good point. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I hadn't considered those variables, but those are great points in, you know, in how you dial into this. And, and that might be a great thing to discuss as well is um, what is your process? So you get, you get reports. What does this look like? How do, you, how do you address them? How do you look into them? And is there a certain process you have or is it a dynamic thing that varies on the claim? Well, it usually just whatever book or subject I'm researching is what I try to follow up on. Uh, oh. People always have the impression that I'm a, you know, like I'm a cryptozoologist and I, I take calls and then if I get, you know, a report of a flying humanoid in Wyoming, then suddenly I'm on a plane and I go up and investigate it, which would be really cool. But, <laughs> you know, unless somebody is funding that or something sure. there, there's no your expenses would far exceed your ability to cover everything and you get reports from all over all the time mm. so my process more is to c collect them and when possible if i think it's a credible account i will go ahead and interview the person and you know get a perspective you know and and sort of file it away and then if it comes time to okay here's some project where I can then, you know, in, encompass this into, you know, documentation of an area or a creature or whatever the subject is, then I will go back and either, you know, reference that or follow up even more. And so it has to kind of, there has to be sort of a, I guess, a, a uh, some focus with which to pursue these rather than just sort of taking the next one in line and then trying to follow up on it. Sure. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, but you know, certainly in, in that scope, you know, I always try to at the minimum, you know, talk to the person on the phone at least. Um, and if it's somewhere remotely accessible or where I can visit the person or the location, I try to do that, you know, uh, yeah. when possible, because that that's the best way to, sort of get a perspective on what they might have seen, you know, and I mean, I guess there's been a few cases where it's more, a little more urgent, like somebody saw something and I think it's a credible witness and it was more timely where maybe that would be a case where I'll go, okay, you know, let's, let's drive down and check this one out while it's hot. Right. You know, but a lot of it's, it's you, you get reports of, you know, most of it is just, man, I, you know, I saw you on this show, uh, you know, Monsters and Mysteries in America, and you were talking about, uh, you know, the Lizard Man or whatever. And, you know, back in, you know, 1995, I saw something. So it's usually a lot of recollections of sightings. And, you know, then you go, okay, cool, you know, file that in the Lizard Man category and, mm -hmm. and uh, sort of, you know, just add them to your files. Yeah, well, it seems, and I'm sure this must be the case for you as a, a person that does receive a lot of uh, messages and reports. Does it seem like there is more of this stuff going on, or do you think it's just a, a situation where people are more able or willing to discuss now more than ever? I think mainly people are more willing to openly discuss this mm -hmm. because, you know, some of the cases where I – I've 
delved into a certain area and such, you can always dig up, you know, stories and pe- witnesses and people who never really told their story. But, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you know, I saw something like that down here, you know, <laughs> when I was a kid. And, you know, you get these stories um, that that date back. So I think there's always been consistently you know, these kind of reports, it's just that mm-hmm. now they're, they're more easy to document. They're more easy to publicize by individuals, you know, whereas back in the day you had to wait for in search of or something right. or John Green to write about it in, in his Sasquatch books. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was no getting on BFRO and looking up some report. Sure. Absolutely. So, so I think it's, we, it seems like there's a lot more reports now, but it's just just easier for to be fielded, and also the stigma of saying you saw something big and hairy in the woods <laughs> is kind of lifted. I mean, you know, yeah, you see see those cable network shows where it's like, oh, well, that you know, this person who said they saw that that seems like my neighbor. That doesn't seem like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you know, then people are more willing to come forward and say, well, you know, I saw some too. Right. And I, and I suppose there's, there's for me personally, I didn't like, I didn't know through most of my life much about Sasquatch in, in particular, but then when I started to pay attention to the, to the information that was out there and what people believe are signs to attribute to those things. And, uh, you know, I think you become educated on on what may be a sign versus just wow that's weird that happened and and for instance when uh, when Les Stroud was doing the the Bigfoot uh, Survivor Man series he talked about you know I'd been in the woods so long and and so for so long and heard the you know the trees falling down and he's like wow what are the odds I would just be here at the time that that old tree fell down and in 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 this dialogue he was like now I know that could be you know, something like a Bigfoot. And I think that maybe that's part of it too, because I think we're, we're often confronted with things that we just don't understand. We have no, no frame of reference for, but as this information expands and more people become aware of it, suddenly it's like, Oh, well that could be, you know, fill in the blank. You know what I mean? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's what you're paying attention to. So, you know, there could be, yeah. Some hunt, hunter out there, you know, like my dad or whatever, he could have heard weird stuff, strange howls, mm-hmm. you know, trees, you know, a rock fall mm-hmm. that, you know, like it was thrown or some where he would just pay no attention to it. But, you know, if he was thinking about Bigfoot, then he might say, OK, you know, maybe that was something other than than the normal sounds right yeah yeah that's just it so you know just like les stroud i mean until he started thinking about okay what you know bigfoot what is the possibility then he's paying more attention to things that could be signs thereof yeah um so you know i think a lot of that i think even with you know but maybe they they think it was a cow or a a bear or whatever that you know you have to you have to be looking for something. It's like bird watchers that can go in the go out there and see all sorts of these rare and unusual birds where 
I'd walk through there and I wouldn't know, I wouldn't <laughs> see any of it. I'm not looking at birds. Right. I'm like, oh, there's more birds or whatever. But <laughs> you got to be looking yeah. to find things, you know. Yeah, and it helps if you know what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of merit to that. find this history of people seeing sort of shadowy things just beyond our perception that we define as is like a rake Um, what about what about things like uh, the the lake monsters? Have you ever looked into that much? Somewhat, you know. I haven't I haven't really done any um, research projects where I went out and specifically interviewed any string of witnesses. But uh, you know, I I read plenty of books and mm-hmm. and occasionally gotten lake monster reports, and oh. you know, I find those you know, fascinating as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just like we're dealing with sightings of creatures in deep, dark woods, you know, you have these huge bodies of water with all sorts of subtle uh, disturbances Mm -hmm. on the surface from wind and floating things and logs, which makes it very hard to prove or disprove that something you know, could be swimming in there because, you know, you think, ah, well, you know, if it's a lake monster, you just look on the water and you'll see it. Well, it's not (laughs) that easy, you know, uh, big bodies of water and you just have to be looking at the right place at the right time because, you know, conceivably these would be things that dwell below the surface. So you just have to be lucky if you saw it surface, you know. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, lake monsters are, are, are quite fascinating, you know, and when I was a kid, it was, of course, it was Loch Ness Monster, and that's the only one you knew of. Right, and, yep. And then again, like we were talking about, you realize, oh, man, there's like every lake has a monster, you know. <laughs> well, and that's it. You know, I grew up on the shores of the of the Mississippi, a portion of the Mississippi that's uh, the widest part of the entire Mississippi. It's called Lake Pepin in uh, Minnesota. And I don't think a lot of people can understand what it's like to grow up next to that water because – other than like maybe six inches below the surface, it's all just a cloud. It's not like these are transparent bodies of water in a lot of cases where you can just look down and and see. So I think right. I think people think it's like the ocean where you know you can see it, you know a quarter of a mile away from you. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's just just as challenging to try to see something in those lakes as it is, you know, a, a forest that's thick with trees. And yes, you know, unless you know, Loch Ness, of course, has had the benefit of of being famous. So there's been a lot more research focused on that scientific research and a lot more funding and money to where they have done things like, um, you know, sonar scans of the entire lock. Mm-hmm. You know, but that and you know that's not resulted in anything obviously but that's just one of them you know consider all the other lakes that have never been sonar scanned and looked at in terms of their potential creatures mm-hmm. to the extent Loch Ness has so you know that's the only one that's really been thoroughly investigated out of all of these 
Yeah, that's a great point, and and you're right that because that's the big name, that's the 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 Hollywood of the lake monsters, I guess. Right, and I mean, I always thought if you've heard of Morag, which is a creature uh, said to exist in in Loch Morar in Scotland, which is a it's another loch, but it's not famous. Mm-hmm. But there's a a cool uh, book on that, and when you read that, you're just like. Wow, this is just as credible and compelling as the Loch Ness sightings. Mm-hmm. But here's here's one that, you know, if you ask somebody, hey, you know who Morag is, the average person's going to go, what? You know, they wouldn't even know, but they would know the Loch Ness monster. You know? Yeah, yeah, I had no idea when you said that. Morag, what's that? So I'm like taking notes here. I got to look that one up. But that's fascinating. You're right. Yeah. I, I and and they're popping up all over like the Lake Champlain and and Lake Iliama and, and a number of different lakes. I hell the like I said, I grew up on the shores of the Mississippi and swam in the lake all the time. Never saw anything in my whole childhood and even into adulthood. And uh, come to find out as an adult that there was a, a Native American legend of of a of a lake monster there, the Tipper of Canoes or whatever they called it. I can't remember the name that they gave it, but uh, you know, I never saw anything, you know. Right. And and there again, it, it could either be that there's nothing or you just weren't paying attention. And, you know, you yeah. dismissed a strange wave as simply a wave when it was. Sure. What it, it, pep, is it Pepe? Pep, yes, Pepe, Pepe, I think. Yep. That's the more common the monster. Yep. Yep. Uh, and and you know it was it was interesting, but I was like, wow, growing up there, you think somebody would have warned me? <laughs> You're right. I'm like, you know, splashing and having a good time as a kid, and I could have been a snack. But no, I, I mean, it never came up. But I I will say that I did I did hear that every once in a while there'd come a a report of somebody seeing something, and it was very very rare. But once in a while, somebody said, no, I saw something surface, and I think that it's it's tough too because. Uh, waterlogged wood will do that bobbing and, and surfacing and down and up and down and up, especially in a current body like the Mississippi. And so I think that that could really simulate it and make it hard to be sure. But, you know, again, it's it's pretty pretty amazing that there's allegedly so many areas that have these. I live in the, the north of Sandpoint now, and I live on a, a, near a lake called Lake Ponderé. And up here we got the Ponderé Paddler. <laughs> And I thought, wow, there's one here too. Um, but I, I gotta wonder, is are these stories something that migrated in, or, or I guess if they have a First Nations uh, background to them, then that certainly lends the whole legend. Uh, I would think more credibility than, oh, and and I guess I'm gonna, I have to go into this a little bit because this is something that I noticed when I was moving through the country, uh, working for a company that I grew up, as I said, on the Mississippi river. And of course there's the Eisenhower bridge in a town called Red Wing. And the big legend of that area was that, well, when the army Corps of engineers was up there diving down to do the footings for the bridge, they came up and they would not dive again. Cause they saw fish down that that were big as sharks. And I thought, wow. And so I, I considered that gospel. I heard it growing up and always considered that there could be huge fish in there and uh, how amazing that is. Um, but as I traveled around the country, I started to hear that same story repeated with every bridge along a river water. And I thought, wow, 
every town has that. And is that akin to like every hotel has the jilted bride ghost and every, every hotel has the little child spirit that fell down the stairs and, and had a real unfortunate ending. And, and is that, is it a self perpetuating legend at that point or, or is there a basis for it? And, and I, you know, I wonder what your thoughts are. I mean, there's certainly a, a phenomenon of that where stories, um, transpose themselves to new locations and and that goes for all of this there's uh you know stories of goat goat men yeah every bridge i mean we had two or three bridges here that had goat men there's um famous the lake worth monster sort of a goat man bigfoot thing out of texas and Mm. but yeah you go somewhere else and they they've got goat men or just like you say you know uh these stories of more specific, they were building the bridge. The divers saw this. Yeah. To me, um, you know, that's where that it becomes tough to separate um, sort of that uh, urban legend and mm-hmm. um, transformation of tales from one area to another, as as opposed to did somebody really see something? Yeah. Uh, type of a thing. So um, we as humans uh you know have a long history of this if you look in folklore and you look at everything else there's very similar thematic stories mm-hmm. um even our fairy tales you know things that Walt Disney kind of made famous sure with Snow White and Cinderella and stuff those stories existed in many cultures almost the wow. same but he basically distilled the best versions and created what we think of as that fairy tale. But that fairy tale actually existed in other forms in other places, uh, much like you have these monster stories where every lake has one, and <laughs> supposedly the Native Americans saw it. And at some pl- and back in the 1950s, you know, mm-hmm. something happened. <clears throat> but those are unable to be verified. So, sure. I don't think that discounts necessarily something because you if you do have a true phenomenon you can usually find a more recent sighting where you could literally interview the witness or something and then you could say okay well whatever about where this came from this person saw something you know good point Uh, um so i think you have to take with a grain of salt things that are supposedly happened in the past or especially if you see a theme where you're like, I heard this, you know, in a different state mm-hmm. um, in terms of this kind of stuff. If we're going to really categorize something as a, is a actual cryptid or something there, there, there surely must be more credible sightings than just a couple of different legends, you know? Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Um, before we run out of time, I guess we're, we're getting towards the last 10 minutes or so here, but um, I got to ask you about the, the, the whole rake slash ghoul slash I think white walkers is another term that people have given them. What do you think of that phenomenon? Do you think there's anything to it? Well, you know, I, I think there could be. I mean, I, one thing I've noticed about that particular the rake thing, you know, it kind of branched off uh, from the Slender Man mm. phenomenon where that was a fictional story for sure. Sure. And then people sort of connected these the phenomenon of of these strange sightings of strange entities, where known as the rake, they sort of 
connected that with Slender Man to give it a longer history. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't looked a whole lot into that because it sort of falls to, between like a like a spirit and a ghost sure. and, a, and a monster or something. But, um, but you know, I think there you could – you find this history of people seeing sort of shadowy things mm-hmm. just beyond our – perception or or that come at night and that we define as is like a rake mm-hmm. and you know there again it's just trying to decide whether that is something our brains are manufacturing or whether there's shadow people out there that there's something to it and there you can't prove it either way all you can do is just kind of document the phenomenon and and try to you know analyze it as best you can. So I, I, you know, I just keep an open mind about all this stuff because, because again, you can't, you neither disprove or prove it. And you can usually find a very traumatized and adamant witness that'll say, look, I wasn't dreaming and I saw this mm-hmm. and this is what happened, you know? Yeah. I think it's fascinating. I think it's really a creepy thought. I'm not, I'm not necessarily, obviously I'm not sure what they are, but, but I, I, I wondered about that because in many in many regards, I, I think that the descriptions of the rake very closely resemble the old descriptions of ghouls. And so is it just a retitle of, of an old phenomena, you know? True. And, and that is another aspect to this where, you know, something gets, you know, spun in a new way and given a new name. But it's, again, it's something that you can date back to earlier stories where yeah. they may have called it something different, but but essentially what they're describing is the same thing. And that, that either, that does one of two things, either provides credibility and, you know, substance to the fact that there's, there is something to this, or it just says that this is a phenomenon that human brains experience and it continues to, yeah. So you're always still, you know, sort of in the gray area between, you know, our own perceived reality and that which exists on the fringe of our comprehension. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I, I want to make sure that we mention your podcast. You got Monstro Bizarro podcast. When does that air exactly? Yeah, I, I hope to launch that, I think, in April. Um, I got a little sidetracked because I'm always so busy with stuff. But I, I really have tried to get into the into the realm of, uh, you know, of, of audio just simply because I've, you know, I've narrated about eight documentary films with Small Town Monsters now where my voice sort of carries the story. So oh, cool. um, I thought, well, you know, I've done all this research and, of course, I've got written the books and I've been in documentaries and TV shows. But it would be cool to kind of present some of these in an audio format. So yeah. uh, I've been working uh, to develop the concept and stuff. And once I get back from some travels that I'm doing um, – out out to uh, the Georgia mountains, then uh, hopefully I can get it launched and and be here to promote it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic, and I, I I really look forward to listening in on those episodes as well. And we can't obviously leave until we discuss the hot sauce, brother. I've heard from the reviews that I've read that it is an amazing sauce. What's going on with that? 
Right. Well, you know, about a year ago, I decided it would be fun to uh, release my own signature hot sauce. And I've, I've, I'm kind of a culinary um, aficionado and, Mm -hmm. and cook and have recipes and stuff. And I saw just a couple of things inspired me. And well, this would be cool to have, you know, when I do an appearance, so I'll have my sauce. And of course, I wanted to, it's got to relate to my cryptid things so i call it monster sauce and the first <laughs> flavor is rogue red chili which is a milder flavor it's got more flavor it's a milder hot sauce you know okay and uh but uh i put it out and it just became this whole thing i didn't realize how many people would want this and, and then i had you know i had to quickly get it on my web store and i've got uh, probably f- 15 different retail outlets that carry it now and, uh, and, you know, I used to be known as the, either the boggy Creek guy or the guy in the black hat, but now it's people come up, go, dude, you're the guy with a hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I, I, so. I would love to try it, except I, I have, I have severely wimpy, you know, uh, palate when it comes to spice. So, um, but I'm sure my, my wife would love it. That'd be awesome. I'll have to get a bottle and let her try it. But, um, and, and additionally, you've written how many books? Seven. Seven books. And where are they available? You can find those, uh, of course, on Amazon, uh, or you can get autographed copies directly from my online store. If you visit lyleblackburn.com, you'll find a link there to the store. And, of course, it carries monster sauce and other items as well. And uh, my website has information on all the books and movies and all the various things I've done. And speaking of what you've done, what's 2022 looking like for you, brother? It's looking pretty pretty good. Uh, the, the monster business is, seems to be booming. So <laughs> um, I'm currently, like I said, let's see, developing the podcast. I'm working on a new book and coming out with a new monster sauce flavor, a, a green swamp sauce. <laughs> So, uh, let's see, I'm about to do some travel to Georgia to spend some time in the mountains out there, Uh, a little bit of rest and relaxation as well as research into some of the Bigfoot sightings and some of the areas that have a good history out there. Um, And then a bunch of event appearances um, all over the country. So it's another busy year. Yeah, I can see. And ladies and gentlemen, you can check out, again, com and see his upcoming appearances uh, are listed on in, in the bottom part of the page. But man, yeah, you're you're a machine, man. <laughs> you're going 15 directions. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it, it's a little hard to keep up with. Um, but, you know, it's all fun. So people say, people say uh, you know, don't forget to to have a life or whatever. I'm like, this is life. I mean, what else? I wouldn't right. run anything more. So, uh, to me, it's just all good times. And as much as time as I can put towards it is, is good times to me. So that's how I kind of manage it all, I guess. Well, fantastic. And, and thank you so much for coming on the show with me today to talk to our listeners. This has just been phenomenal. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. All 
right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Paranormal Portal Radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows, Journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it, check it out, guys. We're over there at youtube.com slash Paranormal Portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day. And remember to laugh as much as you can. 